Welcome to Let's Talk. Where ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We are live and interactive. With education. Spoken word. from Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope, as well as our other streaming channels. And tonight, um, as, part of, as part of our continuous celebration of Women's Month, we have Dr. Morgan join us. And I swear, uh, Dr. Morgan, uh, after reading her bio, is really a remarkable woman. Um, you know, usually I always tell everybody personally about my personal background is that I I didn't go to school to learn. I went to school for other things. And it's amazing how education has like been in my forefront since I started Let's Talk. And um, to have a doctor of education join the show and allow us to uh, get to know who she is, is, is definitely an honor. And uh, I'm very thankful that she uh, answered that inbox. <laughs> Good evening, Dr. Morgan. Good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Um, give us give us a, a background about yourself, like where you grew up, your love for education. Okay, I am born in well, born in Newark, raised in Orange, 07050, as I say. Uh, went through the public school system there. Graduated from Orange High School. Um, went away to college, Keene actually, and came back five years later and started teaching in Orange. So my, uh, you know, Orange is my hometown, near and dear to my heart. So I started teaching kindergarten, um, Oakwood Avenue School. Um, after about three years of doing that, I was moved up to fifth grade. I can, uh, early childhood was just not my thing. Um, but I was, I moved up to fifth grade and loved it. Uh, one day I was teaching, um, a language arts lesson, a language arts lesson, 
and I was teaching a writing lesson and I was, I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but um, the director of curriculum and testing, um, her name was Mildred Cook and she was walking around the, the building and she came into my classroom and she sat down and she saw me teach this lesson and she left. So that day I got a phone call saying to come to her office. And I'm like, what you, oh my God, I'm about to be fired. What did I do? So then she basically said, I need you to go out and teach teachers what I just saw you do. So I became what they call the master teacher for language arts for the Orange Public School. So that job, uh, I went into every, went into different elementary schools to work with new teachers, to work with teachers who may have been struggling, sort of like a coach. So I did that for about uh, two and a half years. And then I went on, I left Orange to become a uh, supervisor for an alternative high school. So when you talk about how you went to school, you didn't go to school to learn, you went to school to play. I had a high school full of, of, of students who many people want to throw away. So um, I, I loved that job. That was one of the best jobs I had. Um, students were challenging and I had, uh, you know, drug dealers, uh, drug addicts, um, you know, who needed to finish their education. They were still minors. So let me, so I, let me ask you, so a lot of them, a lot of your students at that school was basically classified as like an LD or ED? Most, some were classified, some were not. Um, some were not classified. They were just in trouble and they could not return to their home district. So some districts had a, a, a policy that if you got into major trouble, meaning, you know, um, selling drugs or a, a fight, or if you, if, if you had any dealing with law enforcement, you probably would not return back to that school. You came to me. So I did that, uh, graduated a lot of kids out. Um, as a matter of fact, I saw one student in union and she recognized me um, and told me, you know, how I had helped her get her high school diploma and get her life back on track. So while I was in, while I was at Middlesex County Academy, um, I had my first son. I, no, I got pregnant with my first son. And uh, during that time, my mentor who hired me at the elementary school where I started, she was retiring. So she reached out and she says, look, I'm retiring. Um, can you, I mean, would you consider coming back to Orange and taking over Oakwood, the same school where I started my career? And I was 32 and I was like, I'm not, not going to be a principal at 32 years old. <laughs> the thought of it just frightened me like, oh no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then I started making up every excuse in the book. I can't do it. I need to be home with my kid. I'm just going to go back into the classroom and then I'm going to leave work at three o'clock and go home and raise my son. Well, my mom stepped in and because I'm from Orange, my parents were still living in Orange. And my mom said, no, you're going to take this job and I will just help you pick up Tyler from school. Um, so I found a daycare center in, in Orange. Um, those were the best people that I still consider them family. They helped me raise both of my children. So I drove from Somerset to Orange. Um, I was living in Somerset at the time. I drove from Somerset to Orange every day with Tyler, dropped him off to daycare went to work and my mom was a um, cafeteria worker in the school system in Orange. So she would pick him up and then she'll take him home. And if I had a meeting or, you know, if I, I couldn't have done this without her. Um, so my husband and I, when I got pregnant with Marcus, who was my second son, we decided we need to move closer because I really didn't want to give up my job. Um, 
And unfortunately, my mother passed away right when Marcus turned one. Mm -hmm. So we needed to be closer to Orange. And so Union was 15 minutes away. Um, in addition to that, my husband's job, he's working in the city, in the village. They moved um, to White Plains. <laughs> so, <Whoa. laughs> so we needed to be close to the parkway. So that was another reason why Union was chosen and why we moved here. So, so I know I, that. I know that. Excuse me. I know that yeah. you uh, you talked about your initial your initial teaching. Um, I told you when I first looked at your bio, what struck me was the Jack and Jill. Um, explain <laughs> to the. I don't think a lot of people know who Jack and Jill is. The, the foundation. They may have heard it. Explain yeah. to everybody what Jack and Jill is all about. From being in the program to now basically being a part of mentoring. Well, Jack and Jill is a mother's group. Many, many people think it's a group for children, but it's actually a mother's group that was formed by a group of African-American women over 80 years ago um, because they wanted to provide their children with cultural activities to do. Um, you know, back in those days, we could not do things with uh, with people that didn't look like us. So they wanted to form uh, a group uh, a, a mom's group, basically, so that they can get their children together and, and you know, take them to plays. And uh, we do things such as, uh, you know, science activities. We, we went to, last year, I took Marcus's group to the uh, Air and Space Museum. And it's basically a group for children, a, a, a group of moms, but all of our children play together. They grow up together, but it's basically a group of moms who think alike, you know, who want the best for their children. Um, we we support each other. I have a, you know, my Jack and my Jack and Jill moms group. We, you know, if I need something, if I need somebody to pick up my kid or if I need a, a resource for my kid, somebody can call and say, hey, who do you use for a tutor? Um, our students go on to great colleges and universities. We support one another. And it's just a great organization to be a part of, not only for me as a mom, but for my children, so that my children don't have to think that they are the only ones. You know, my son plays baseball and, you know, there are many times where he's the only black kid on the team. So he needs to understand that it's okay. But at the same time, you have that support of other African-American children who are doing just as well as you. So, so you're, uh, you know, and we talked about you and this, your color coordination from the, <laughs> from the picture. You're, you're an AKA. Yes, I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, the first Black Greek women's organization, for, I mean, a organization for college-educated women. Kamala Harris is my soror. <laughs> <laughs> Had um, to throw that in there. So, so now ex, uh, explain your going back to Orange and being able to uh, teach there again on the higher level. Well, I went back to Orange to, um, again, I didn't want to be a principal, never thought of it this early, um, that early in my career. But I, I went for an interview. Um, honestly, I didn't think I was going to get it, um, but I did. So I became a principal when when Tyler was one. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. It was the school where I started, but it was also challenging because it was the school where I started. So... I had people that were supporting me because they knew me, but other people was not supporting me because they knew me. You know, I came back as their boss. So many people didn't take kindly to that. But um, 
you know, it was challenging the first two years. I used to cry every day my first year. And my mom said to me, she says, look, you're going to have to toughen up. You need to stop letting people make you cry. You're the boss. Act like it. So I had to put my big girl pants on and, and act like I was the boss. And uh, after six years of doing that, um, uh, I went to uh, be the high school principal. We had a mm -hmm. co-principal model. And it was uh, the high, Orange High School had fallen a lot over the years. And uh, my co-principal and I, she was also an Orange High alum who was a elementary principal. And she said, we should go over there and be the high school principal. And I was like, I ain't going to that high school. Are you crazy? And it was, so then she went ahead and spoke to the superintendent. So I felt like I was kind of like, oh shoot, we really got to do this. And so superintendent sat us down and we talked about how our vision for what we wanted, what we, we wanted our school. Cause again, that was our alma mater. We wanted our school to be one of the top, not one of the top, but out of the status that it was in. So we get over there, graduation rate, 62%. Uh, kids weren't graduating, couldn't pass the HESPA test. Uh, no one going to college. Expectations were low. Building was a mess. Um, so we just had, I mean, we had to clean it up. And that was one of the toughest jobs I ever had. Um, you know, fighting with parents because I was raising expectations. Um, fighting with community members because I was raising expectations. You know, we, we didn't allow, we had a uniform policy. You didn't wear uniform, then you can't come in. So we really had to tell children that this is these are the rules and we need you to follow the rules. And just talking to them and having constant conversations with children, forming bonds with them, forming relationships with them, because children don't learn who they don't like. That's just the bottom line. So we had to form relationships with them and, and turn the school around. So after, um, I would say about the first year we... The first year we uh, did great. I mean, our scores that first year, when we woke up, the scores came out at like 12 a.m. And literally we were up at 12 a.m. trying to see where we were. And my and I was over the English department because I have an ELA background, English language arts background. So we, when I saw my English scores, it was like 95%. And that included all students. That included my special ed students. That included my L's, my English language learners. You know, we kicked it. We we really kicked butt that year. And I was so excited, but I was so tired, but it was it was so much fun to see that we raised the expectations. We pushed kids. We talked to parents and let them know what our expectations are. And then our parents got on board. They were like, you know, this is great. Um, so after that, we had a goal to raise our AP standing, our advanced placement standing. And I don't know. If, I don't know what you know about. And let me know if I'm talking too much because I can talk no, about no, this for hours. <laughs> so we had a plan to raise our AP um, offerings. I think we had maybe two AP courses at the time. It was English and maybe no, it was it was English. It was two English courses, and they weren't passing. You know, um, we found out that. Uh, Teachers weren't being trained on how to teach AP. So again, we had a superintendent who was very supportive. Um, he, I, we went to him and said, "Okay, we need this. We need this money. We need this money." He was like, "Okay, do what you need to do." So we started sending teachers out for AP training. 
we started to uh, put kids into AP classes when they didn't ask for it. They hated it. They hated if they hated me because I was the one who it was my idea to kind of like look through their transcripts. And I had a great team with me. So whenever I came with a vision, they were like, oh, here she comes again with this craziness. But I sat down over the summer and I looked at every kid who had honors. So if you had honors, English or honors math or honors science, and you were having, and you had an 85 or above average, I pushed you into AP. Mm. And the kids didn't know that until they got their schedules. So when they got their schedules and they, and I had, and I had a conversation with, I mean, I brought them all down and I, you know, I, I gave a pep talk, like we going to do this and, you know, we are better than this and we could be just as good as South Orange Maplewood. And, you know, and they looked like they were on board until I started getting phone calls from parents and they were like, I want my kid out this class. And, mm. and I said, no, I said, I'm not doing it. And so they go to the superintendent and he called me up. He was like, Kalisha, what are you doing over there? And I said, you told me to run my building. I said, you told me to do it. So he left me alone. And then they didn't get through with him. So they ended up calling the county superintendent. It was the funniest thing. And he said, <laughs> he said the county superintendent wants to know why are students calling him about AP courses? So wow. I explained to him exactly what my vision was, how I knew my kids can do it. And and just let me do this. So through the year, I support. And I went to their classes. I spoke to them. I supported them. Um, we put after school programs in place so that they can get extra help on Saturday mornings. They had Saturday Academy. I was literally cooking breakfast in our kitchen at school. They will come in. They will have their because I don't I don't cook. So they will have their waffles and, and sausage. That's about all I could do. And then I will send them up to class. And then at 12 o'clock, they will come back down. And I would have spaghetti because that's all I could do. So, <laughs> so I gave them <laughs> breakfast and lunch. Um, and then again, our AP scores just started to go up. And then we had children wanted to just get in it because everyone, you know, we would have these large celebrations, you know, every marketing cycle, everybody, you know how we have pet rallies for sports. We had pet rallies for academics. So if your name wasn't called, that was, it wasn't like we were trying to embarrass the kids that didn't make the honor roll, but it gave them an incentive. So every marking period, it went up. You know, we started with maybe 90 kids having honor roll, and then it goes to 180 kids having honor roll. So every marking period, it went up. And then we uh, found out that our school came off the, we were on the state list for focus status. And that's where- Is, that's, that's a federal list, right? That's a federal list of the lowest performing schools. And we were on the list because our graduation uh, rate was very low. So after three years, four years, from 2011 when I got there until 2015, took us four years to get off that list. Excuse me, our graduation rate went from 62% to 92% in four years. And it's still there. increase. And yeah, over over the and it was all about just making sure kids were in school. You know, um, I don't believe in suspending kids unless I literally have to. And and even then, I try to come up with a reason. But sometimes my vice principals will be like, "Come on, Doc, you can't let this go." You know, <laughs> so um, I try not to suspend kids. We had kids in school. We put in PBSIS, so we we were rewarding kids for coming to school on time. And and I know people will think, well, that's their job. They should come to school on time. But if you were not taught that and, and the expectations were low and you can come to school at any time and nobody said anything to you, you know, then you're not going to come to school. So we made sure that they were in school on time. They were in their uniforms. They were in classes. 
um, you know, walking the building, doing academic walkthroughs. I would literally go in and sometimes co-teach with my English staff because, you know, we had a really good relationship. So when I walked in, they didn't get nervous. It was like, okay, Dr. Morgan's here. Well, Miss Morgan at the time, she's here. Um, what y'all working on? And I'll just jump in and, and participate in the lesson. So that's what I did at Orange High School. So wow. And, and so, that was like, that, that was fun for me. I mean, so I know I get excited it, talking about school. <laughs> it, it appeared that you had uh, signed up for a nightmare, but it wound up becoming truly, um, this is your alma mater. Yeah. So this this is, it truly was an accomplishment to raise the graduation rate in four years up 30%. Mm -hmm. Now let's get to the good part. You know, you know my, my favorite part, I told you I wanted to talk about um, this dissertation. Oh, okay. Um. Explain to everybody what you did your dissertation on. I did a study on the effectiveness of um, after-school programs on student achievement, particularly math. Um, I chose math because, again, we, um, I didn't say that our AP, once, once we started, we did AP Calc um, in Orange. And many, most of, most of my children, I would say the majority of them, would not have had the opportunity to take LP, AP Calc if they did not take pre-calc or Algebra 1 in eighth grade. Um, algebra 1 needs to be taught in eighth grade because if they if they don't get to out, if they don't start Algebra 1 in eighth grade, they would never get the calculus as a senior. So in Orange, we didn't think of that at the time. I, they're doing it now. Uh, Dr. Tina Powell is a wonderful math director in Orange. She started having cohorts of students who were taking Algebra One and started following that cohort as they went along the years. I'm sure it. I'm sure it has increased since I since I left. But when we did um, AP, when we started the AP program, we needed the kids to take pre-calculus. So we started bringing them in in the summer for them to take pre-calculus. So, so then that following year, they took AP Calc and Orange was, was again, recognized for having 85% of our students pass an AP Calc. And that was huge for us because, again, we started with two AP courses, 62% graduation rate, students not passing math on, on the HESPA. So for us to start actually seeing some gains, and then we made the AP Honor Roll, which is a national recognized list of schools where the eight, the college board recognized schools for increasing AP access for students of color. Mm -hmm. And not only did we increase it, increase, we increased the numbers of students taking AP courses, we increased the number of students passing AP courses. Wow. So my yeah. dissertation was basically on after-school programs and summer programs. Um, I would call it extended, extended day or an extended year programs. My children, um, who are now 16 and 12, they've never had a summer where they were at home. You well, know? <laughs> I got a question for you. You can answer it now, answer it later, or don't answer it. You know, we had our conversation. But this, this, this is one of my guys. Mm -hmm. Why? How does what you just spoke about compare to the vision the board should have for Union Public Schools? Hey, Paul Casey. <laughs> um, I think that that should be the vision of many boards of education, not just Union. I think that high expectations, having access and equity to, to um, instruction, 
to, to high level instruction, I'm sorry, having access to high level instruction should be the vision for every board. I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking as a board member. I, I should have put that disclaimer out. I'm speaking as Dr. Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and my show does not represent what she represents because I have some crazy shows sometimes. So nobody <laughs> would be like, well, he spoke about this on this show. Uh, this is this. This show is basically like I told Dr. Morgan behind the scenes. This show is to celebrate her during Women's Month and to talk about her and what she has accomplished and some of the things that she's done in her past, present, and what she has in store for her future. So, um, you know, we, we want to try to stick to that. I'm quite sure. Um, even some people on, uh, presently that she is affiliated with might have questions in regards to that. Um, we'll try to limit those questions. Um, well, you know, I, I can answer that because, again, I think that, you know, I'm in Montclair now. And the same thing I'm telling you is what I said in my interview, my multiple interviews that I had when I had when I was interviewing for that job. Um, you know, we must. So hold be up. Sure. You went from Montclair. You went from Orange to Montclair. No, I went from Orange to South Orange to Montclair. Because, okay. you know, that rival between Orange and Montclair is strong. Well, yeah, it is. It is. I was talking to a woman today and she was telling me about, um, and she was like 80 years old and she was telling me about all the things about Orange. And, and I said, yeah, that's where I'm born and raised, uh, you know, but it's it's a rivalry, but we okay. Um, to go back to Mr. Casey's question, um, again, I think that every vision for a Board of Ed, you know, your goal should always focus on student achievement. Um, whether it's the high achieving kid, the low achieving kid, the special education kid, the L's, every child should grow within a year. You know, every, you should see some growth. Um, I'm very big on data. And I look at I look at unions data because, again, my kids, my, my one kid is here. Um, my oldest kid is not. But I, and, and my older kid, my oldest kid is not here because of what I just said, the lack of access to courses. Um, he was one of those students, um, wasn't like the brightest student, but he had gifts and they weren't being recognized. Um, he scored a perfect score on the NJS when he was in fourth grade. And I literally had to fight to get him into the accelerated math class. Because again, if he did not, if he wasn't on that track to take algebra one in eighth grade, he would not be taking AP Calc next year when he's a senior. Um, my son wants to be an engineer, you know, so we knew this. So when I know, you know, my kids know if you like to do something, I will support you. You know, I, you know, I when he likes to play baseball, we do travel ball. My my youngest son, he swims, he does karate. So we're all over the place with our kids. So I knew that I needed to get him someplace where he could be able to take these high level courses without any questions. And, um, you know, fortunately for us, um, Roselle Catholic, they, he took one test and they recognized what I didn't recognize because they placed him in the honors program. I wasn't looking for honors program. I was looking for honors math. That's all I was looking for. So when I got his schedule, I was concerned because I know Tyler doesn't like to write. Even though I'm an English background person, he does not like to write. So I was concerned. So I went to him and I said, look, I said, I can have your schedule changed if you want me to. And he was like, no, let me do it. I could do it. English is his highest grade right now. He has a 96 average. 
And he's working so hard at it because he doesn't like to do it, but he's determined to do it. And I say that about putting kids into courses that many teachers may not think they're able to do, but if you give them that opportunity, they can show you that they can do it. And I'm not saying that for everybody, but there are many students who are being passed over because of roadblocks by adults. Say that again. There, there are many students being passed over for opportunities because of roadblocks by adults. Yeah, many adults. Doctor Morgan, Doctor Morgan speaking. I'm Doctor Morgan speaking. <laughs> many, many, many adults being roadblocked by other adults, but uh, yeah, possibly no, too. Yeah, yeah a, well, but you know that story. Nellis <laughs> had a question. She said, "As you are aware, research has debunked the older methods of how students learn to read." Can you speak about the science of reading and the role that it plays in literacy, especially for K K-12 learners? K through 12, K through two, which is early childhood learners. Okay. Um, hi, Nellis, thank you. Um, yes, reading has is an issue across the board, not just union. I have that issue in Montclair. You would, I wouldn't even have thought that I had the issue in Montclair, but I do. So I've been meeting with parents because they are very, um, they're not happy with the reading um, instruction that's going on at Montclair. So I started, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process now of researching exactly what's happening and um, what needs to be done. But basically it's all about teacher PD. The way that many teachers were taught how to teach reading is not correct including me, you know, coming going through school in the 90s, I was taught that whole language method that if you don't know the word, you look around in the pictures and see if you can try to figure it out. And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> but then I learned that in college. But again, I had great mentors when I got to be my first year teaching. Um, Eula Penn was a great um, uh, early childhood educator who was my principal, and she was big on phonemic awareness, phonics, uh, fluency, uh, comprehension. All of that is reading. It's not just not no. You have to know why students. You have students have to know why they're doing things. They have to know how to blend sounds and put letters together. Right now, it's called like the science of reading. Okay, reading is is you know things in your brain help you to learn how to read. But if we're not teaching that way, the students will never learn that way. And many people think, oh, we're gonna bring in this program and this program. And I remember um, the National Council of Teacher Quality, they put out a quote years ago, which is something I quoted at a board meeting, which basically got me in trouble. But it basically said, teachers are the most important people in the classroom. Teach, uh, programs don't teach reading, teachers do. And they quoted this. And when I started to think about it, you know, you're right. You know, when I was at Orange High School and we didn't have a program, we had we had PD every Monday, professional development every Monday. We focused on, you know, reading skills, even at the high school level, reading strategies, Socratic seminar, reciprocal teaching, all of those strategies to get students to read and comprehend. And can't, programs can't teach you that. You know, it's all about teacher quality and teacher PD. So, you know, we have to be sure that our teachers are up to date with the latest research, research-based programs, research-based strategies are the only way to go. I mean, 
I meet with book companies. I get emails from book companies every single day selling things and selling things. And can you just say it's a big business. It's big business. But before I pick anything, I need to know what the research says behind it. What are your what, what, what's your data to show does it work? And I also go and look at other school districts who are using it. And that and that leads to you're an instructor at uh, New Pathways of Teaching in New Jersey at Jersey City University, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, I became involved in that um, through Essex County College, believe it or not. Um, if you don't have a traditional teaching background, teaching degree, I have I went to school for teaching, so I didn't have to go through Alston and Root. But if you have like a business degree or a math degree that that you didn't it wasn't math education. You would have to go through Austin and route. The state partnered with the community colleges a couple of years ago to teach the basic, um, to teach the basic. I'm trying, I'm looking at the questions as I'm talking. So maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I, I apologize. I don't have to put them up. I mean, the, the young ladies are making, uh, for lack of better words, they're making great statements in regards to what you're saying. They're not, they're not really questions. So I won't put them up to, 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 to jam you up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> If, if anybody has any questions for Dr. Morgan in reference to what she's talking about, please uh, just just put the question up, and I'll definitely let her know. I'm I'm not trying to confuse our uh, our doctor here because oh, you know sorry. she she definitely knows how to multitask. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was working at Essex County College, and um, uh, New Jersey City University took over um, this program from Essex County College. I would say about. 2017. Yeah, about 2017. So I get to teach the second year teachers. So courses I'm teaching this semester, I'm teaching assessment, um, how to, you know, how to assess students. I'm teaching um, curriculum for diverse communities. So I'm teaching them about, you know, cultural responsive teaching, um, how to work with special education students, um, our L's. And I'm also, I'm teaching three courses. What's the last one? Oh, reading in the secondary classroom. So it's always something with reading. So I'm doing that. And I've been doing it now since, like, like I said, 2017. And I enjoy it because I get to work with new teachers, um, especially now during the pandemic. I'm on a call with them at least once a week just to support them because they're very stressed of trying to do my work and trying to teach remotely. Um, teachers just need support. So I try to be that support for them. How 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 do you view that, um, the pandemic? Um and like, if you were just starting out and the pandemic would have hit when you just started out, like, how do you think you would have uh, went through and how do you think you would have dealt with that as a young teacher with virtual learning? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I must admit it's hard. Um, it's hard on kids. It's hard on adults. Um, I tried to, I had a meeting with uh, the Montclair Education Association you know, and I just had to, you know, just encouraging them and just letting them know because we're supposed to come back on April 12th. And we don't know what we're going to walk into when the kids come back. We don't know what's going to happen. We have a plan. It sounds good. But, you know, you won't know until you get in that classroom. It may not work. So my job is going to be there to support them. Um, my technology coordinator, we have a whole team of people, us at every school to make sure that our technology is up to par. Um, you know, our principals will be working with them on lessons, um, you know, synchronous versus asynchronous and, you know, all of that stuff. And we're just hoping to get through June because I really need the kids to be back in school. Yeah, <laughs> I really one, of, do. one of the things that I had, um, I had explained to a couple people that uh, are in, the, in in your field where I work at in, in, in Northeast Pennsylvania, 
<laughs> I actually work in the field where we're putting fiber in certain areas. A lot of people don't know that half of the country don't even have Wi-Fi. Yeah. I know I know growing up in Northeast New Jersey, we got all types of different cable networks. So it's easy for us and we assume that people got Wi-Fi, but it's really, really um hard. I mean, I talk to some of the school teachers, some of the school bus drivers every day in passing, and it's really been a strain on them because they go to school, I think, three days a week, and it's like it's rough. It's mm -hmm. rough. I, I had a coworker where she actually had to leave her job in September of last year because she um she couldn't do it. She couldn't. Right. She didn't have nobody else at home, and she couldn't right. she and take couldn't care of kids. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 rough. Um, you know, fortunately, my husband and I were talking about this. You know, fortunately for us, our kids are older. Um, you know, my 16 year old has been managing. Um, Roselle Catholic never shuts its never shut his door, so he's he's in school from eight to two, um, every day. Um, you know, they're they're trying to maintain the level of rigor because even though it's virtual, you know, he's a junior, he still has to get ready for college. So they've, they've kept up their uh, level of rigor. Uh, union, I know my, my youngest son, he is not faring as well as my oldest son. Um, you know, being in the house for almost a year, for over a year, and he's already an introvert. So, you know, it's not like he's gonna go out and just play outside, that's not him. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that school will get back open just so he can have that social, emotional support that he needs. Yep. My friend Andrea, she's from Canada. She lives in, in, in uh, Brunswick, Canada. She said, I'm from I'm from Canada, the East Coast. Our educational system has done away with the cur cursive writing. They are now taught how to tell time on – they are not taught how to tell time on the clock. They are not taught how to count back money, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> Math is a big problem, too. Long division is done in their heads, not the old way of doing long division. It is the same in the U. Okay. Um, you know, I think that my, my both of my kids had different experiences. I can only speak my experiences and what my kids uh, got when they were in when, – when one was in U and the other one is still there. One kid, my oldest son went to a different elementary school than my youngest son. And that was because I was not pleased at, I was not pleased with the level of instruction that my oldest son received at a certain elementary school. Um, again, I'm always going to advocate for my kid. I've been advocating for my kids since they were born. Um, you know, had a conversation with the teacher. He was, he was basically struggling in math. And this was my math child. So one Christmas break, it was his fourth grade. It was a year of his fourth grade. We were on Christmas break. And I literally went through everything that I felt that he did not learn in the classroom. So we spent the week just going through strategies and, and, and skills that I felt that he was not getting in the classroom. And mind you, that's the same year he got the perfect score on the test. So when I went and met with the teacher, she made a comment and she's like, oh, I don't know what happened over the Christmas break. He came back. So and I'm looking at her like. <laughs> how, how, let me let me let me ask you, Dr. Morgan, how how is that like? Um, I know I know you don't be trying to pull rank, but I know you no. be like, listen. Uh, when you when you when you go and you meet these teachers dealing with your sons. Do they ever know, like you know, who you are? Like you have, okay. So how how do you how do you handle that as the parent educator? Do you just like um, 
let the teachers teach and don't try to step in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do not um, contact my kids' teachers. Um, I don't. <laughs> I just don't. If there's an issue, I will send an email, but I will send it. There, there, were, there were a few times where I felt that I wasn't being ignored. I, I felt like I wasn't being heard and I was being ignored. Um, and then I would send it from my work email address. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I said because when I was in, when I was in, um, you mentioned about your um, your waffles and sausage and spaghetti. When yeah. when, well, I don't know if I told you, but I have a, a culinary background. Oh wow! And, and it's funny because I remember the chef the first day of class. He told us, "I'm going to teach you guys the proper way from A to Z. What I teach you, don't take out to a restaurant because you'll never want to eat out at a restaurant again." So I can only imagine, like, you know, sometimes I go out and I'd see things, the way people handle food. Right. And I'd be wanting to tell people, like, uh, mm, I wouldn't eat that. Right. <laughs> but I have, I have to kind of, like, keep quiet because it's not it's not so much uh, an issue, like, the food ain't good or it's not healthy or whatever. It's more of I'm a food handler, so I know what you're supposed to do when you're handling food and some people just don't follow the rules. Oh, wow. I guess I shouldn't yeah. eat out anymore. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Believe, believe it or not, that's one of the funny things about the COVID is food handlers should have been wearing masks. Mm -hmm. That's something that should have been going on. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole nother show for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So you use your email. You had to do the job email. With yeah, your, only with only when I have to. I, I didn't have to do it. You know, like one kid went to one school and I wasn't pleased. So I always tell my oldest son, you know, you were the test tube because we, we, you know, once we figure out things with him, we didn't do with our second one. So we sent our second one to um, Connecticut Farms and it was it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience. The staff there. The teachers, the the even down to the secretary and the nurse, just wonderful, wonderful people. The principal is the best. I mean, she, the the expectations that she has for those kids, for the kids at at Connecticut Farms, it's just phenomenal. I mean, one year she focused on um, uh, growth mindset, and it, it, you know, growth mindset was basically, uh, you know, telling yourself that even though I may not be good at math. I'm going to work hard at it until I get good at math. And I was riding in the car with Marcus and Marcus was in third grade, maybe second, third grade. And he, it was a toy store that we used to go to called marbles in the mall. It was like a, a smart kid, you know, kids that go in there and, and, and just do different things and, and globes and marbles and things like that. So Marcus, that was one of Marcus's favorite stores. So we were driving in the car one day and he said, mommy, can we go to Marbles? And I said, you know, Mar Marbles closed down. Um, and he said, why? And I said, well, normally when, when stores close down, that means that they um, were not able to, they, their business wasn't good and they couldn't afford to pay the rent and they had to close down. So he said, hmm, well, that means they didn't have a growth mindset. And I almost, I looked, I said, what? 
And he said, yeah. He said, because if they had a growth mindset, they would have went back and tried to figure out how to revamp it. He didn't say revamp, but redo their business plan so that they can make more money to stay open. And I came home and I emailed Mrs. Moore and I said, thank you for teaching my child because my son Marcus does not give up on anything because he has a growth mindset. He may not get it at the first time or the second time, but he does not believe in giving up. Um, and I and I attribute that to Connecticut Farms. I mean, that's how they were. When he was acting up, they became his parent. You know, Miss Patrico was just one of those teachers where she was just like, oh, he's not going to get away with this. And she'll call me and I'm like, do what you got to do. You know, <laughs> you know, wow. teachers and parents should work together. But I love the Connecticut Farms experience when when Marcus went there. So I know that uh, one, of, one, of, one of your favorite subjects was history. Mm -hmm. how, how did you um why education like i told you like i told you like i asked you behind the scenes did education choose you or you chose education education chose me um i'm gonna be perfectly honest i was in sixth grade and you know when you're in sixth grade i don't know how old you are you're probably around the same age as me but you have these brag books when you're leaving to go to another school and i wrote down that i want to be a teacher but when i got to high school um when I was doing my college applications, I was told you shouldn't be a teacher because teachers don't make any money. So I went into college as an accounting major. Um, I got to college and called home to my mom and I said, you know, I, I don't like this. I don't I don't want to do this. Um, so she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to teach. She said, well, change your major. It was it was very simple. It wasn't no discussion about it. It was like change your major. So I changed my major and I, I mean, I lost a, ye a year because I had taken some courses that didn't transfer over. Um, so that's why it took me five years to finish. But I chose history because I thought I was going to go to law school. I thought I was going to teach. I thought I was going to go to law school and then I was going to become an educational lawyer. Mm. Um, that was my plan. But um, I started really liking the teaching and learning aspect of instruction. So I went and got my master's in curriculum and instruction. My first master's was in curriculum and instruction. So you basically can, can you know, for lack of better words for the layman, you can design a whole curriculum for, for a school district. Yes, that's what I do. I'm, I'm assistant superintendent for equity, curriculum and instruction. So that's what I do in Montclair. Okay. I'm in charge of everything curriculum. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Morgan. <laughs> well, you know, you guys in the chat, I thought it would you can, be. You can questions. ask some chat. You can ask. Oh, they're not asking questions. Okay, that's fine. You guys can ask Dr. Morgan some questions. I Maybe mean, they just want to know about, you know. I had to step in when my son was in fourth grade and when he was in sixth grade. I feel like my son was a, got a good education at UPS. However, there were a couple of teachers who were out of line. It is imperative that pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. You must advocate for your child. Um, you are your child. If you're not advocating for your child, no one's going to advocate for your child. You must be the one out there. Um, you know your child better than anyone else. You know what they do, what they what they will do, what they won't do, what they can do. Um, and 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 again, I'm a teacher, so it's not like I'm going to say you know don't listen to the teacher. But you have to work with the teacher. Um, like I said, Miss um, the, the teachers at Connecticut Farms, they work with us. Like I said, my old, my youngest son Marcus is an introvert, and there were many times he would go to school and cry, you know. And then we just got tired of it. Okay, you're not gonna cry today because if you're gonna cry, you're just gonna sit in there and cry by yourself. I mean, we really had to just come up with a plan 
to to get him not to he was doing it for attention because once we stopped paying that attention, he snapped right out of it. Um, if I thought it was a, a major mental health issue, of course, I would have done something about it. But I knew that he was just wanting attention because he got a lot of attention out of me when he was home. But he wanted the teachers to do the same thing when he was in school. But we, you have to work with teachers. Many parents, and I'm going to talk about parents too, you have to also listen to teachers when your child does something that they're not supposed to do. Um, many parents try to you know, I don't like this teacher because she said it's about my kid. Well, is it true? You know, you you you, you it go it goes both ways. Now I'm not saying that they're that they're bad teachers, but there are some teachers who sometimes don't give kids the benefit of the doubt. They come in with these preconceived notions about kids, and parents must work with teachers to do what's best for your kid. And I stepped in a lot of times when it came down to my kids. And, and there are many times with my kids, especially my oldest one, where he got in trouble and he got in trouble in the school. He got trouble in home. I never I never said, oh, that's not my kid. He won't do that. Mm -mm. Kids will do things that you wouldn't even think that they would do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put the next question up in one second. But I got I want to ask you something. Um, do you think you you had one because you mentioned what is the importance of mentorship? You know. It's mentorship is so, so important because, I, my, you know, my motto has always been leaders help develop other leaders. You know, I never take what I know to just say, I'm not helping you or I'm not, I'm not doing this or I'm not going to, you know, or, or I'm not going to support you because I'm jealous of you, you know. If, if it wasn't for mentors in my life, I would not be where I am. They they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I'm a really behind the scenes person. For me to be out front right now, you know, on the board of ed, <laughs> being a- um, Doing this interview. Doing this interview. You know, I'm a behind the scenes person. I can work, like I support my superintendent 100%. And he'll always say, you know, they like you more than they like me. And I'm like, well, you know, you're the, you're the person in front. You know, they're gonna like me. You know, everybody's not gonna like the superintendent. You know, so for lack of better words, you take the, the, the person in the front takes the bullets. Absolutely, they do, <laughs> which is why I would never want to be a superintendent. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Suhey asked, why is it important to have teaching staff reflect the student population? Very good question. Great question. Um, when you have many teachers, I think I don't know the statistics, but most teachers in America are white females. I mean, that's just it. It's rare to find a black male teacher. It's rare to find, um, you know, a Hispanic male teacher, a Latinx male teacher. It's, 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 it's rare. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but we have to go out and find these people. They're out there. Um, it's important so that teachers, so that students can see people that looks like them. Um, I think my son's first black teacher was in second grade, and mm. then he had. Have you had another one since? Eighth, yes, eighth grade, um, algebra one. Wonderful, wonderful teacher at Burnett, Miss Arnett. I don't know if she's still here in the in the district, but she again conversations with her on Saturdays. This is what Tyler did. I didn't appreciate it. 
okay, Tyler, you need to go in there and handle your business in the pot. You know, we worked hand in hand with him because, you know, middle school is tough. So we worked hand in hand with him. But again, being in union for eight years, he had two black mm-hmm. teachers. Um, and then he had Mr. Harrell as a principal, which I thought Tyler would probably think otherwise, but I thought was good because he needed to see that. Um, Mr. Harrell was one of those, when, when Tyler was in seventh grade, Mr. Harrell was still the vice principal. And something had happened with Tyler and a young lady where the young lady was sending him inappropriate text messages. And when Tyler said something back to her that she didn't like, she went and told her mother. That particular day, I had Tyler's phone because he was acting up in school. So I took the phone. So I'm sitting in my office and Mr. Harrell calls and says, Dr. Morgan, I have Tyler in my office. And I said, why? And he explained to me what had happened and that the young lady's mother was in the office. And I didn't know if she was coming to threaten my child. But all I said was, I'm on my way. I said, I'm on my way. And I had the phone. And I showed exactly what the conversation was because she had deleted what she said. (laughs) She only showed what my son said. So when I got there and showed exactly what happened, we were like, okay, Tyler, go back to class. But if Mr. Harrell didn't call me and he had only taken the word of this young lady, what do you think would have happened to my son? Mm. So that's why it's so important that, you know, you understand, you listen to both sides. And I'm not saying that because he was a black male and he, but you know what? Sometimes we give our kids more benefit of the doubt. So it is important that kids see um, teachers and administrators that look like them because who wants to go to school every day and just feel like the only authority figures are people that don't look like you. For the, for those in the chat, one of the things that, um, I was taught, and Dr. Morgan will will definitely attest to this because I know she probably follows this. That um, no matter what administration comes into uh, office, the first budget cut is always education. Um, what is your view on that? Like, I I personally, it, it's funny. It's like I told you about my background. My personal view is that education should have like a, a blank check, like Department of Defense. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because really, what is the price that we should pay for education in this country? Um, a lot of a lot of districts. Well, you, I'm quite sure you understand how being in a place like Montclair compared to Orange neighbor neighbor city, like with with funding, the budget. Um, with with donations, stuff like that, yeah. how it can affect yeah. the child. What what is your view on that? Um, I think uh, I think that education should have a blank check. I think that all kids should have access to um, great education, um, and it shouldn't be based on your zip code. Um. And that's what it is. It's based on your zip code, you know, 07050 from where I'm from versus 07042 Montclair. You know, they're paying $30,000 in taxes. You know, there are many families in Orange who don't make $30,000 a year. But does that mean that your child is better? And I think that that's where this whole equity piece that I've been talking about, because there are things that school districts can do 
to ensure that even though they may not come from the richest uh, zip code, that students still have access to opportunities. Um, you know, when we when I was in Orange, I, I always made sure that my kids went on a went on a trip. You know, in 2015, we did a senior trip. We did a senior trip to Virginia Beach. I don't know what I was thinking, but we we pulled it <laughs> off. And I remember one of one of my one of my babies, and I, his name is uh, Keyshawn Alexander, but um, we call him Ducky. And Ducky's about 23 right now, but. I've known Ducky since elementary school because remember I was a principal at an elementary school. So I had a, I had an opportunity to follow my students from elementary all the way through high school. And I said to Ducky, I said, okay, we're going to Virginia beach. And he didn't want to go because his friends weren't going. And you know, in Florida, they were like, oh, that's corny. We're not going. I said, oh, you getting on this bus because I really needed him to get out of orange. I really needed him to see the, you know, Virginia Beach and, and, and King's Dominion, because um, that's where we went. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, so when we were in the mall, we went to the mall that Saturday and we, and he said, and he called me Ma. He said, Ma, you know, just thank you for making me go because I needed, I needed him to see, um, I needed him to see that. I needed him to see that it was more to life than Orange. You know, I always, I always say this. My, my son was born in Orange Memorial Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother lived in the Valley. At the, oh, time, okay. at the time, yeah. So when you kept saying orange, that's why I kept smiling. I probably know her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. You probably do. Uh, okay. You probably do. But um, I always say this when you mentioned they took the kids to Virginia Beach. In spite of how the children are now, I always say like they're nowhere near as wild as I was. Like. And that's what I tell Tyler all the time. I say, you guys think you tough. You ain't tough. <laughs> like, I say that all the time. Um, but yeah. my, my, my nephew, he he's 16, 17 now. And I'll be like, you're nothing compared to like 16, 17. We were right. jumping on the train and going going to the village. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Going up, you know, uh, trying to get in the limelight and the tunnel and all that stuff. We were 16, wow, 17 at 16? With, with fake IDs. Because you know the first, if you had hair on your face, you was twenty one. That's what everybody used to say. You know, you grown. So it's it's you know, Doctor Morgan. I uh, really appreciate you uh, answering the uh, the inbox. Uh, yeah, I thought. I'm be, can I be honest? Yeah. <laughs> it was you know you sent that you sent the uh, invitation when all the crap was going on on Facebook that I just ignored because it it wasn't worth it. So I really thought that this was like a setup. And I'm be honest with you. I was like, okay, who is this dude? You know, why, why is he trying to talk to me? Um, but thank you for just keeping it about me and not about the politics of union. Again, I'm all about children and um, that's it. I'm just all about making sure that children get what they need. You know, at first, like I told you, when I sent, you the, when I sent it to you, um, what I told you I wanted to talk about and why I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about that, Mm. And when you when you said no, I'm like I was so disappointed. <laughs> so so I told you I went to my partner. I'm like, yo, she said no. She like why? I said she probably think I got something to do with that stuff. I said you know I said you know what's really crazy is a lot of people will form and not just you. A lot of people will form an opinion about you, but they don't know that you know um, some people can, as we would say, be neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I personally. Um, I don't care about all that. I um, 
I think you being a doctor and me and you are around the same age, you being a doctor of education, I, anybody that knows me knows that Barnes and Noble reading, um, I'm an avid reader, even though I did not go to school for education, even when I was in high school, but I, I love the education field. I love to hear it. I love to talk about it. So that it was more of like, nah, I gotta get her, yo. I hope she reconsider. And then when you sent me the inbox, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so then, so then when we had the show scheduled for Monday, and then you, you know, you, you, you we had to uh, reschedule it. I'm like, oh. mm -hmm. So then today, I'm like, okay, we scheduled the interview for seven. I said I'm gonna be fighting to get back because I work an hour away now, and I'm like, I'm gonna be fighting to get off work, but I got off work early. I said, you know what? This is meant to be. Meant to be. And um, I was messing with you behind the scenes. For everybody that has a problem with um, Dr. Morgan, I'm willing to go on record. Don't worry about her facial expressions. <laughs> you, we should be lucky. That's all she does. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you, she's from, she's from Orange. Um, uh, we're going to leave that alone. We yeah, alone. we gotta leave that alone. Again, again, culture, culturally, you know, it's, it's it's not even worth. I'm not even worried about that. But again, if anybody, you know, I just um, we just, I just feel that the people, like I said, I've been behind the scenes. I've been in union all this time, and no one knew who I was until I ran for the board. And if I knew that it was just going to cause this, if I knew that being on a board event was was not about serving children and more about who you like and who you don't like and the disrespect and the, and the, and the, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, you know what? It's toxic. Let me just say that. You know, it's toxic. You know, you know what's amazing about that? And, and, and we definitely ain't going to talk about that. No. But what's amazing is I, um because I'm trying to do something with less talk, I kind of know what's going on with different boards and different districts. And I see it and I say to myself, like, yo, we're volatile. And it's like, okay, if the kids are paramount, if the kids are first, why are we arguing? Like, we arguing because I don't agree with your theory. I mean, at the end of the day, you like you didn't know, you didn't know my intention on interviewing you. If if I was someone who watched the board meetings in Union, and I only hear about them, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't watch them. But if I if I lived in Union, I was a parent, and I disagree with you, I could inbox you and take you out for a cup of coffee. Now well, I don't know if you would go. <laughs> but, well, you know <laughs> what? Just... No one knows me. I mean, I I always tell this story that when I ran for the board, the only person I knew was um, Guy Francis. And I know Guy Francis because when we moved here, my husband needed a medical doctor and he located Dr. Francis. When we, um, Tyler started, Dr. Francis, Guy uh, coaches baseball. And I didn't, again, didn't know him, but I knew that when I went with my husband to the doctors one day and he asked me my thoughts on Union Public Schools. And basically, I did the exact same thing I did with you. You know, one child had an experience that the other child didn't have. And if one school is doing something great, then all schools should be doing the same thing. Um, so then when he called and asked me to run for the board, you know, I only had maybe two, two people that I knew, him and another parent 
that was a, a uh, one of Tyler's uh, friends, and I, you know, I put my name on the list, and even when I got the number two spot, I was like, I don't have time to do this because I had just taken over the interim position at Columbia High School, so I was working, you know, one job at the district level, and I was still doing, um, and I'm not, I was asked to go into Columbia, so I was trying to pull out. And my husband said to me, you can't pull out when you did all that complaining. So mm. either you need to step up or just shut up, basically. Mm. So I had to step up. That's basically how it went down. Because um, I because I had complained for so long. I'm, you know, going to talk to teachers, going to talk to principals, going to talk to superintendents, sending emails, doing this. So I felt so my husband said, this is your time to try to affect change. And unfortunately, I'm not doing what I thought it was going to be. I'm, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm getting anywhere um, since being on the board. I think I was, I had I was, I was able to affect change being off the board, I think. Um, but when you, you know, you have to get involved, but I can tell you this, I won't do this again. <laughs> one of, you one of the to. things, one of the things that like, cause I know about the situation with, you know, the personalities. <clears throat> so I always said, you know, I would never try to interview or have a conversation with an active board member mm -hmm. unless it's time for election. I'll listen to anybody, have anybody on the show. Mm -hmm. But um, don't, I mean, it's it's an interesting task. I mean, I I personally believe from, from talking to a lot of people, being a, a lifelong resident up there before I moved to Pennsylvania, Family still there. My uh, co-host, her 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 family's been at the same house for over sixty years. Mm -hmm. She had a son that just went through the system, um, and she's the one that told me I need to interview you. <laughs> one of the things that I think that most people need to do in union is stop listening to argue and listen to try to get along. Cause we could talk about what we disagree about all day long. Let's talk about what we agree about. I, I think that everybody really do and have the best interest of the children in their um, heart. But we, you know, your vision may be different than my vision. Um, you know, I was <laughs> one of the people, you know, I came from an era where, where, the, where boys were just told, I don't care what you do, baby, just graduate high school. Wow. Now, I never told my son that. The bar was a set a little bit higher. Um, so we, we we just need to deal with those boards and the dynamics, no matter what town you're in, it's, it's interesting. Right. And we need to just learn to listen to each other learn and not always get along. And also, um, you can't get upset when people advocate for their kid. You know, um, that's how I got into this for advocating for my kids. Some people do it differently than others, but I think that uh, superintendents and you know, boys of ed don't run the don't run. The, we do not run the school. However, when parents have concerns, um, we we need to be heard. And it's not the board's job to make those decisions. We hear you when you're coming to board meetings, but it's up to the board of education to hold the superintendent accountable, any board of education to hold the superintendent accountable. You know, my board and Montclair, they hold me accountable when it comes down to anything equity related curriculum. And they, and they want, they'll call me up 
and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, and they, and they do. And I don't take offense to it because that's their job. They'll say, what are we doing about this? What are we doing about this? When it has to do with my department, when it has to do with special ed, when it has to do with technology, they're going to ask me these questions, you know? So I'm, I'm not, I don't get offended when a parent reaches out to ask me a question. I just try to help them as best as I can. And, and sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes saying, no, that's not going to work. This is why. And, you know, and I had one parent say, you know, you're the first person that told me no. And I didn't get upset because I gave her a reason as to why it wasn't going to work. You know, um, I mean, and, and then like, you know, and, and I always want us to remain a level of professionalism on the show. Mm -hmm. Some people need to stay in their lane. And not, with all due respect, and I and this is coming from me for anybody in the chat or anybody that's going to see the future future broadcast. This is her lane. Education is her lane, and some of us we veer into the wrong lane, and then we try to tell the person who lane it is how it should go. So sometimes we need to. Stay yeah, in our lane. I always say that. Um, you know, I, I always say that, and it's in me. I say it all the time. Just because you went to school, you can't tell me how to run a school. Um, you know, right. it's, it's, I mean, we all went to school, but, you know, I've been studying this. Um, you know, I still study this. I'm actually taking a, a week's course up at Harvard in April. You know, I study this. I, I do this all the time. This is what I love to do. I'm always reading books, going to conferences, um, you know, just keeping up on what the latest research says. And I know parents feel that they know better, but sometimes you're going to have to be told no. And, and with a reason, you know, with a well, smile. Yeah, <laughs> if, 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 if the pandemic didn't teach us one thing, it taught us some people use school as a babysitter. Well, I don't want to say that. No, you, you ain't say, I said it, Quentin said it. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, you know, and I and I hope and I say this as a parent that when you send your kids to school, you're sending a you know a reflection of you basically. Mm. And when you when they don't do what they're supposed to do or they cause problems for other kids in school, you know that's what teachers deal with every single day. So now teachers are saying, "Hmm, now you see what we've been dealing with. Imagine dealing with twenty five of that." You know, 25 of kids, 25 kids who may not um, listen and follow directions. But I wouldn't call it babysitting, but I think that parents expect their kids to be in school at this age. Many parents were not able to work. My food bill has tripled and quadrupled since my kids been home. My light bill is high. So it's like, <laughs> and I didn't get a stimulus check. So, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I, I understand. I clearly understand. But my kids are older, so I didn't have a lot of issues, thank God. Um, but when you have younger children and you and you can't work because you have to be at home, I can understand why parents were upset. Yeah, I second what Jeff and Paul both said that um, you know, uh it would it would it would definitely be a dishonor to uh to lose you as a board member of wherever you serve and um you know, I think that you are definitely an asset and <sighs> well, you can't look. I, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna fight people. Um you know, people everybody has an opinion, but 
I just wish that when people make opinions that they can say they know me. Because I would never, you know, I was taught that, let's just say you don't like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw Paul Casey's name out there. He's my birthday twin, so I can do that. So I'm just going to throw Paul Casey out there. Let's just say you don't like Paul Casey. And you come to me and you say, I don't like Paul Casey. And then I don't like Paul Casey. I'm, I'm too grown for that. This is middle school stuff that they're doing out there right now. You know, they don't like me because of PFC and because PFC advocates for their kids. So, and I'm not even a member of PFC. I didn't know them. And I love the Mohays now. And I really do. But I didn't know Paul and, and, and Jeff. And like I said, the only person I knew was Dr. Francis. And I didn't know them. But we are, um, we are, we basically, we're fighting for our kids. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh it's funny. I've I've never met I've never met Paul or Jeff, mm-hmm. but um a, a mutual friend of Jeff and myself, they always be like, yeah, you and Jeff, if y'all ever meet each other, y'all are really get along. Y'all both got that that spirit, and it's funny yeah, because Jeff, I know, Jeff is I know funny. he's from the Bronx. I know he's from the yeah, Bronx. So. Yeah, Jeff is you not. Know, uh, you so know, it, it, go ahead. No, I just feel that you know I know that Jeff and I, and I may be wrong. I think that Jeff and Paul started PFC. I may be wrong. I'm not sure. But again, there's nothing wrong with parents coming together to advocate for their kids. South Orange Maplewood has a group, and I'm a and I'm a trustee on this group, and it's called the Black Parents Workshop. I didn't put that in my resume, but it was a group of parents who got together and they sued the school district, and they won. And they sued the school district because of the same thing that I see happening here in Union, where kids were not allowed to take classes. I mean, the roadblocks that they put in place to keep kids out of classes. Suspensions rate was through the roof. Uh, black kids being arrested, white kids were not. So they got together and they they formed a group and they put in a, a lawsuit. And, you know, many communities have parent groups that get together and either work closely with the Board of Ed or you know, and it would be nice if everybody can work closely with the Board of Ed, but the Board of Ed and the superintendent cannot expect not to be held accountable. They just cannot expect that. It wouldn't be fair to students if parents don't advocate for their kids. If you see something wrong, and I'm saying this to any parent out there, speak up. You you're, you're, you, you have to. You have to. Well, Dr. Morgan... We could be here all night, um, but uh, I, I appreciate you sparing some of your time because your time is precious. Um, <laughs> you, you, have, you have a family, you're an educator. Like you said, your brain is always thinking about the next challenge and the mm-hmm. next thing that you uh, want to put to the forefront. Um, Montclair, I hope Montclair, New Jersey appreciates you. I hope Union, New Jersey appreciates you because um, I live in Northeast Pennsylvania and I definitely appreciate you. Well, um, thank you. Thanks for joining the show, and hopefully we will talk again soon. And um, to your son that plays baseball, I played. I love baseball. I was a big baseball fan, and the reason why we don't see more minorities in baseball, well, American minorities in baseball, is because baseball don't market to us anymore. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and again, baseball is expensive. So how do we provide resources to kids that cannot afford it to play the game? Right. It's expensive. Right. A, a bat can run you $200. You know, 
So travel, you know, it's it's just like AAU team. Travel teams can run you two thousand dollars. It's it's expensive. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and people always say, "Why do you work a second job?" I said, "Cause my kids play baseball. That's why I work a second job." <laughs> well, well, I thank you for joining the show. Um, everybody in the chat, this is Dr. Morgan. Um, thank you. Well, you guys wanted to know who she was. Now Here you guys know who she is. You don't have to assume or get third party. Now uh, you know who she is. So, Dr. Morgan, I appreciate you. Everybody in chat, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Dr. Morgan, stay on the line. And uh, okay. for everybody in the chat, thank you uh, and have a blessed night.